1: Hey everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of November 11th, 2022. I'm Charles Shane, I am a filmmaker, I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm here with the co-hosts of this podcast. I don't know why I said host of this podcast. (laughs) Somebody emailed me something about the podcast today and I was like, oh hey, I'm the host. Uh, But I'm here with filmmaker Todd Blankenship. Hey, how's it going? uh, Filmmaker, writer, podcast extraordinaire Gigi Hawkins. Hello. And the editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hi. Yeah, I just said that real slow for fun. So, uh, (laughs) our topic is: so you have finished a screenplay. What do you do now? Which is a great topic that never runs out of fun. We're going to be talking about a new camera from Fuji, the XT Five, which is very exciting. I'm also in the middle of doing all of my testing for my hands-on review with the XH2S, so I'm going to drop some stuff about that in there. I'm excited about that. holy shit man okay and uh we're gonna be wrapping Stay it up <laughs> with alan moore continuing to be alan moore that is this week on the no film school podcast uh, first off i have to say i try and wear a different hat every week but i know i just wore the spaghetti hat last week spaghetti uh, hats i'll do better last. guys it's you, a had, hat. You, had,
2: you had ghost hat for halloween all right, yeah. and then we yep. have spaghetti hat. But I like the spaghetti yeah. hat. So, I mean, if you got if you got other stuff up your sleeve, feel free to bust it out. But I'm I'm pretty partial to spaghetti hat personally.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> I like thank spaghetti you very much. I appreciate that. I, feel really I should have spaghetti. a mastodon hat that has my mastodon handle on it. But we'll get to jokes about Twitter and mastodon later in the episode. So, our first topic this week. You've bought a social network and you don't know what to do with it. Can we help you? <laughs> no, actually, so you finished writing a screenplay and what do you do with it? So, the joke my screenwriting teacher would have said in grad school is if the screenplay is good enough, lock it in a drawer and someone will come find it. Because notoriously, Hollywood is always hungry for good screenplays and you will like, there is a hunger for good material. And if you have good material, people will find it. That is also advice from the 70s. There are more good screenplays now than there used to be, and it is a more competitive market than it used to be for scripts. And also in uh,
3: the 70s, people used to just open drawers looking for scripts, in case you didn't know that. So it was actionable advice. They were looking
1: for cocaine. (laughs) Totally actionable (laughs) advice, though. They would be like, like, is it
3: good? They'd read like five pages and be like, shit, let's do it.
0: Let's do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my buddy was working on the Viper room as an electrician. And he said the best part about working on the Viper Room is like when you're an electrician, you're opening a lot of things. And he opened Johnny Drepp's gun drawer that was like hidden in the desk. And he was like, oh, you have a hidden gun drawer in your desk. And um, man, that story is different now than it was 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's a much sadder story than it used to be. Anyway, moving on, what do you do with your screenplay when you're done? Other people should start.
0: Can I ask a question specifically? Um, So I feel like there are so many stages, like of being done with your screenplay. Like there's, I'm done with my vomit exploratory draft. I (laughs) think I'm done with my screenplay. I am done to the point that I've like anonymously submitted for feedback. And the person who gave me feedback says I'm not crazy. And I, and it's an okay screenplay or it's a good screenplay. Like I, I I think I have yet to be at a point with a screenplay that I feel like I'm ready for it to be. shared with the whole world because I'm like always pressure testing it. And so I don't know, I've never gotten to the point where I'm like, and and st- stamp it's done.
3: Bean. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so I brought this up as like a talking point because I, I've been writing a s- script for the better part of like five, six years. And I've done multiple iterations of the the various steps that you just Referred to so like I did the one where I actually wrote the whole thing and you know I showed it to a few people and they're like yeah this is pretty good and in my head I was like well I need it to be like the best movie ever made so I can't, pretty good isn't going to cut it you know and that was I was a much younger man at that time and um so yeah I've I've you know rewritten it to the point where it's like okay like a lot of it's funny. I'm at a phase now where the 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 version I have now where I'm actually happy with it is very close to that first version where I was like, this is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I kind of did the full circle and started reintroducing the things from the first version again. But we talk a lot about, you know, like getting feedback and things like that. But I, I, I'm kind of more like, I guess I'm more interested in talking about like for someone who as a filmmaker, let's say like largely exists kind of in a vacuum, like maybe they don't have... A huge network of people or they i mean simply like you write you write a script you look you're looking at it and hey I, when i read this it reads pretty well i kind of like this i think it's done you know what do i what what now what what do i do and to me that's kind of what i'm like like I, like you know even let's like down to the nitty-gritty like go, go registering it at various bullshit places and make sure no <laughs> one can steal it like or, in you know in, in how do you go through the process of like getting qualified feedback and like is there is there a site that I, that I should go put things on and, and get going? you know, like I have some friends that I can get their opinions and they have some stake in the industry or whatever, but like what about people who don't have that? you know like that's kind of what I'm more interested in talking about
1: so uh the first platform you should think about is a platform called the Blacklist. Uh started by a guy named Franklin Leonard, who, like, we both worked at the same company, but we were there at different times. But while he was at that company, he had the idea for The Blacklist. And I was like, shit, good ideas were coming out of that company. Uh, it was the first place I worked in Hollywood. He was there a couple of years later. But The Blacklist is an online, like, it started literally as a list of the best unproduced screenplays. And it got enough heat and traction, like, when my friend would have a script on The Blacklist, everybody would be like, oh, they had a script on The Black," You know, it was like a thing. And then he built it into a platform. It is a website. You can get professional feedback from very good people who give very good notes on your projects there and it is also like the blacklist website is designed as a there will be industry professionals there like not studio heads but assistants agents assistants managers assistants people who are actively looking for good material and they'll be reading on the platform and they'll be rating stuff and based on those ratings other people will notice like oh this script is getting a lot of good coverage at this moment so i'll consider reading it. So the blacklist should absolutely be one of the first steps. Um, it's great. Is this
2: like a, what, what are the costs involved in like, how, how do you make sure that people are actually reading it? Like what, how do you make so it's sure that it's, in the system? it's not okay.
1: free? It is over a hundred, less than 300 th- unless it's changed.
0: I think it might be 60 bucks a month for hosting your script live. But if you get a higher score, like if you get an eight or above, you get a free second review. So that's like kind of how they keep you on if, you're, if it's good. Last time I checked.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, and the, but the, even before you think about the blacklist, you want to first off go read a website called WordPlayer, which is a great website. I don't know if these updated lately, but it's either Ted Elliott or Terry Rossio. It's one of the two people who wrote Pirates. There's a lot of Johnny Depp content this week. And um, <laughs> it's, his, it's his website about amazing advice on screenwriting. And one of the articles there is about, with every script, you have to decide, am I passionately trying to get this made? Or is mm-hmm. this a spec to take me somewhere else? And if it's a spec to take you somewhere else, then your goal, because this is a whole different conversation if you're represented. If you have an agent and a manager, it's a whole different conversation. They're deciding with you when it's ready to go out to the town. They're scheduling, they're picking the Friday it's going to go out where everyone's going to read it. And then by Monday morning, everyone's going to decide if it's good or not. And you're either going to have a bunch of meetings set up or everybody's like, oh, we read that script already. And you have to write something else. That's with a team. A spec is designed to help you get that team. It's designed to attract that team. And platforms like The Blacklist are good in helping you on that journey of finding the team that can help you realize when it goes out, when it should go out publicly. But then that's also a different journey than if you're like, I'm just going to make this movie. Because mm-hmm. there's just as many stories of people who are like, yeah, I took it to Hollywood. Hollywood wasn't interested. So I found the eccentric millionaire who lived outside my town and I held them hostage until they gave me $400,000 to make it. And I made it. And like, that is like, there's both of those. I
3: would just say that um, Charles laid out a lot of it really clearly. The thing is, there's something to keep in mind. There's a catch 22, an MPYP (laughs) uh, to all of this, which is that you don't ever want to send unsolicited material. It's like the most like there was a meme this last Halloween of all the stuff that people are putting in candy. And one of the ones we (laughs) shared on No Film School was an unsolicited screenplay. It was just like, (laughs) look at the horrible things I'm finding in my kids candy. Like, it's just like this cardinal sin kind of. Mm -hmm. But that that's the couch 22, right? Because you're like, but I I don't have anyone to solicit. Like, (laughs) like, how do I get someone to solicit? That's where this like cornucopia of choose your own adventure verse opens up because there's like Charles is laying it out. There's like all these little choices you could make. You could like try to upload to the blacklist. You could try to, to do some of the very many other screenwriting contests that exist where people sometimes look through to find good scripts or reps troll for stuff or con men and women exist. Like there's all these little, little avenues you could try the path of just submitting to agents and managers unsolicited. I mean, it's still unsolicited, but at least it's not like, make this movie. It's like, I exist. Are you interested in me? It's like mm-hmm. a step away from the, like the true unsolicited is like, do you want to make this movie? <laughs> that's, the, that's the big no-no. The other thing Charles mentioned that I like, I think I'm re-presenting some of the things you've presented, but is the there's this thing you can do, I think, before you write it. I'm not talking about you, Todd. I'm talking about you, anybody, any of us, which is like, what is my goal with writing this? I think with anything in life, it's helpful to kind of crack, to to think about, even though you have to think about what, what am I hoping to achieve? Because you could write a script with the goal of, I'm going to make this one way or another, maybe by myself. You could also write a script with the goal of, I'm going to sell this like somehow, You could also write a script with the goal of, I just want to write this because I love this idea and I want to write this script. I want it to exist. But I think that there's with clarity of goal and purpose steps after start to become clearer because there are an infinite number of options really. And uh, not really, but there are a lot of options and some of them are very bad ones, like depending on what you've written and to me, if, you really, if you're like, I wrote this, it's great, it's done, is there a way you can do it yourself? Because if you don't have reps and you are in LA or New York or Vancouver, or like one of the hotbed kind of like that might be the best way. So for me, the way I got to the place where I was writing the scripts that then somebody was like a manager and an agent were looking at and sending out, the way I got to that place was by making something that I wrote and those people seeing it and then being like, yeah, we like, we're going to rep you. And then, you know, did you you make
2: a, did you make a short or a feature that got you, got you to that point?
3: Short, short shorts. It was all short stuff that was, could be a feature, but then once it was kind of like, yeah, you're sure we, yeah, let's do the feature version and like that, that, but I, well, then I don't know if this is still true, but I do think that, people have an easier time watching than they do reading. So if you create something cool that people can watch, then you're more likely to get their attention and get them excited than if you write. Like, I'm just like, I'm very jaded, but I just don't think people read well. I don't think they read a lot and I don't think they read well. And so, and I'm just saying that like, as an across the board about people, not even just Hollywood. Like, I think it's hard to get people to read it's hard to get them to use their like the power of of seeing something on the page come to life. And I think that you need you really need to show, I think, in a lot of cases. And I think there's a lot of evidence now to support that the sizzle or just the demonstration of your visual like spirit or whatever it is goes a long way towards getting your then people to believe that your your words will matter or be useful. Mm. That's my opinion.
1: I have a couple things to add on that, and then I want to hear your thoughts. GG. Uh, one is that I think people are worse at reading than they used to be. So when I started 20 years ago, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have iPhones, and everybody I knew, every assistant I knew, and I only knew a couple execs, like, read eight scripts on Sunday. Like, that was just a thing. Like, six or eight scripts are getting read every Sunday, every weekend. There's all this stuff getting read. And, like, do they read everyone carefully? No. But they gave six scripts a look and if one was great they would finish it and they would talk about it and i know a lot of them would read the first 30 in the last 10 and honestly sometimes you can tell a lot about a script in the first 30 in the last 10 and it should make you want to go back and read through the middle if they've done it right but we've now moved to this ipad world where there's an app called weekend read that is literally the app that is designed for putting your six scripts in to read on sunday that's why it's called weekend read And like I don't know about you guys but i rarely read any like even the new yorker i'll get halfway through an article and i'll be like what's up on twitter um and like i break my in a way that never happened with physical screenplays i mean i remember one of my first internships i was reading confessions of a dangerous mind um i didn't know who the writer was yet i didn't know anything about it it was just like the first script in the pile at the internship and i read it and i just read it in, like nonstop. there was no checking of twitter because twitter hadn't been born yet So there's that. I think readers are not as good. The other thing I would say is the contests actually seem real. Jason Hellerman has a great, he was on once and he was like, there's only five contests that matter. And he's probably right. Only the five or six top contests matter. Nichols, Blue Cat, Austin. But what's interesting to me, and this is something that I can't believe I'm talking about Twitter so much, but it's like, it's dying. And it's like, so it's very conscious in my mind as I move to Mastodon. I follow a lot of screenwriters on Twitter. And what's amazing is how much it has informed the way I realized they think about their journey mm-hmm. because Holy shit, Austin matters a lot in a way that I did not think it mattered. Like I wasn't aware of how big a deal the Austin screenwriting contest was. And then every year I started noticing like all of my screenwriting follows were like, Hey, what meetings do you have this year? And and they're like retweeting the managers who are like, I'm going to be here this weekend looking to meet with people. And like, you know, the Monday after the screenplay wraps, everybody's like, "Who got an eight, you know, and it's like, oh, Austin is a much bigger deal in the screenwriting world than I thought it was from the outside because it's not in LA. So people didn't talk about it when I was in LA, but like, it's, it's near enough to you that you could drive down to go in. So you should be submitting to Austin. Austin had a bad year. Was it last year or two years ago? Yeah. We Uh, talked
3: about it on the podcast and they were not happy with us. and, (laughs) And we, well, I mean, when we covered it on I the website, but it was like it was a huge catastrophe, basically. But they bit off more than they could chew, I think. But they still do do a good thing. I mean, all these screenplay services that curate screenplays, so it makes it easier for people to read. Mm-hmm. Because the other problem we have now that we didn't have in the past, beyond that people aren't good readers anymore because of the distractions, is that there's more capacity to read and send and read and send and share. And like, it's just like, you don't have to print out your 120 pages. You email, like all these factors have like increased the volume and decreased the attention spans. But I just want to footnote something you said, Charles, that I, I it's like a grumpy old man-ish kind of thing of me. But like, I do think we should all make an effort to read more and try to be better readers because- we are in a story and written word industry and like, it's so important. Like whether we're creating stuff or writing stuff, whether we're like when people send me scripts, I don't like it always, but I read them like, and I, and I, sometimes I do like it even if they're bad. Cause I'm like, it's like reps just like reading stuff. Like I've always been kind of pro God, I'm saying this and I'm like worried about getting a lot
1: of script. <laughs> but, like, but like, it's like I do, but it's like, so, George, I've got a screenplay. Yes, I was, yeah, gonna, I was going to, so you're saying, is I to
2: my screenplay. Okay. Yes.
1: Oh, well,
3: you? Yeah, you, of course. I'd be fascinated. I feel like reading someone's screenplay is just a window into them that gives mm-hmm. me so much information and it fascinates me when I know the person and good or bad. I mean, Charles winced, <laughs> but good or bad. Like, sometimes it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, weird. Okay, that's their idea of how a movie works. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that I agree, but like, I, I, I like to read I try to carve out time. It's hard as a working parent, but I try to carve out time every night to read books on pages. Like, I just think reading is a, the word is a big part of what we do guys like in filmmaking. It's like the, it's like, it's like we want to make buildings, but we can't just be in construction. We have to look at drafting tables and stuff like, and be aware of the way that it all fits together. Mm. So anyway, I just think we can all be everybody in the industry. Like be a good reader, be a better reader. Like Robert Evans in his book, which is amazing. If you haven't read that, you can do the on tape version. It's amazing. But he talked about how he would just like the way he got up to speed to be a good executive at Paramount. I don't know how great, a good executive he was, but he certainly told a good story about being a good executive. He just read like he read, 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 read scripts. Like,
1: so he would look for cocaine in drawers and every time he found a screenplay, (laughs) he would read it. He was definitely secret.
3: Yes, he was definitely more into the cocaine in drawers than the scripts. I do love that story about locking in a drawer and people will find it, because I think that there's some weird truth to if it's that good, the energy will... like. It's almost like you will pitch it and someone will be like, oh my God, I got to read it.
0: I think you have to advocate for the story, though. If it's that good and... well. I I heard an example of, of a close friend who had a manager who still has a manager who did not get this script, did not get the story that they had spent a year writing, and then they passed it off to their like a junior partner at the, and then the junior partner was like, "Oh, I'll run with this," and now it's like so hot and they're getting so many meetings, but it sat in a drawer for a year because one there was one bottleneck. So I think. That brings me to, first of all, I love all of this stuff. I totally agree with you, George, about like getting, like do the work, do the reading and also like make sure that you're honoring the story of the script and that your script story is working. Cause I feel like we're kind of in this loosey goosey story time as filmmakers. And I'd like to see, you know, story that can stand on its own. But I also think there's an element of this business, which is building meaningful relationships, with people with other writers with other storytellers but also with development executives like you can have a manager but they they get paid 10% of everything you make but they're you have to do they're not going to set up all those meetings you have to build those relationships with people who can be the people who actually invest in your story or who who fall in love with it and it's a long game it really is and i i think of my advertising sales days it was building meaningful relationships and finding those people who you guys were on the same page with tonally and you just get each other and you don't have to explain why this is good like you'll find a few of those folks and nurture those relationships because you know you can have the best script but if you don't get it into the right hands which is again, a long game thing. You can't just like dial up a manager or send a cold email and expect that to be the thing. It's it's a long-term relationship that you're building. And I feel similarly, like I'm not repped right now, but I almost, there was a time where I remember meeting with an agent at one of the big agencies. And I was like a tiny little filmmaker. I had just made my first short, a mentor had put me in touch. And this agent was like, Texted our, my mentor and was like, she's going to be a star after. And I was like, I've made it. And then I like, he was like, come to me when you have your next script. And I worked on it and I worked on it. And I was, you know, a baby screenwriter. And I was like, I'm done. Here it is. Let's do this. And then he was like, I don't know what to do with this. This doesn't sell. And like, you know, I had put all my eggs in this one basket. And now I'm at this phase where it's like, okay, cool. I've gotten into some labs, I've placed in some like, contests uh like austin and nantucket where getting there and meeting other writers and meeting producers is like the work where you're building those long-term relationships but also when it comes to representation i'm like i'm gonna slow burn this and go on as many coffee dates and take the time to not rush into because it is a two-way relationship um so i think that relationship building is key but also knowing that you're adding value as a writer and you're coming in as like looking for that perfect partner. It is a two-way street.
3: I want to just throw something out there that I learned. I guess I could say the hard way, but I feel like it would be great advice for myself a long time ago. And it's exactly what you're saying. There will be these things. It's like, it's kind of like you get a turn at bat. You feel like you get a meeting right with an executive and you pitch the stuff you've got. And maybe they're like a junior executive and you're a baby writer. And you're like, and they're like, I don't really think there's a match here, but I like your stuff. I like, like, we kind of see eye to eye, like there's something there. And you feel like you whiffed, right? Because the idea is like, you got to sell it, right? You didn't sell it. They passed on your stuff. End of the day, close the door, move on. But what happens is, what I saw happen years and years later, is that those executives do stuff that is kind of like the stuff you would do. And it gets big <laughs> like, because people stick around. It's a war of attrition. And I, I don't like to say war because it's like nobody's dying and and et cetera. But like it's it's an attrition, it's like stick around, stay, stay in touch, and then the thing might come along. And if you're still kind of in their mind and like you shared your script with them and it wasn't the right thing, and they're not gonna give you 50 million dollars to make your passion project that you wrote, and you're sad. But it's not the end because they will move on very likely and people move all over the place. And I've mm-hmm. seen the people that I met who are junior executives when I was some of them, not all of them, but I, and I was a starting out writer in those meetings and they passed and they're like, yeah, but we kind of like, we get the same stuff. We have the same taste and they go on and they produce these huge hits. And it's just like, it, it may not have been my idea, but I would have been like, you're, you're in their universe and maybe they're, they're, they're leading the writer's room and they're like, I'm looking for people. This guy's written a bunch of stuff. I like. You know, it's just like you stay in the game. Yeah. Like, just, and I just think get,
2: that, in the, get in the arena with. with get it. in the
3: arena, make the connections. Yeah. Use your script wherever it is to like kind of be a part of what, what you're about, connect you with the people who get what you're about and appreciate your style and your thing. And it's not like that's the other thing I like about Charles's teachers or professors uh, lock it in the box thing is because it's also like the script, that script shouldn't define you. No one thing should it should be kind of like a piece of your puzzle that is maybe one day taking you to who knows where, but like those things I do look back and I'm like, yeah, that guy was, he was trying to do that kind of thing. And I, my thing version of it was maybe not the right one, but he found the right one. And you know, like, it's like, it's just stay in the, stay in the, the arena, the stream, the whatever you want to call it, you know, and it'll find you.
1: Mm. I actually want to roll back my professor's advice a little bit, actually, because in this conversation, up too much. (laughs) Well, no, in this conversation, we've talked about it, and I've realized I don't agree with it because that professor was a straight white male Ivy League educated professor, Mm -hmm. and I look back and I am like, all right, like I've just been thinking of like the number of times I've been listening to an interview with someone who like was directing a studio feature at twenty seven. And they tell a story of, like, well, I was at the Lampoon, and during my summer of the Lampoon, I did this internship at <laughs> SNL. And then the year after, SNL brought me back. so I was at it. And, like, and I've just been thinking. You're it's talking like about Conan O'Brien? Being... <laughs> I, honestly, I was not talking about Conan O'Brien. But also okay. Conan O'Brien. Also Mulaney, although he's Uchico- or Georgetown, which I don't know if Georgetown's an Ivy. I don't know if that counts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of the littles, right? There's so many times I like you'll never guess who it is because you'll guess fifty people and it won't be this person. I'm thinking about your in interview, but it's like like there are all these networks and structures and things. Like I, a friend of mine that I went to school with for grad school, she was telling a story about like how she ended up with her job. And she's like, well, one of my school friends and she'd gone to an Ivy was already there. And like, they got me an intro and like, they hadn't even advertised the job yet. And they were and like when I went in to interview, they were like, why do you even want this? And I was like, Oh, I, I want to be in the mix. And it's like, there's so many networks that are built. And I think if you are not part, you know, I'm from a small town in the middle of nowhere and did not go to an Ivy. And like, there's so many networks that like, you have to beat your head against and so, like, that advice of if write the script that's good enough and put it in the drawer is advice that comes from someone who had an incredible amount of network effects benefiting them. I mm. like that professor. It's why I've thought about that advice for 20 years. But, like, if you're not a straight white dude from an IV in the 70s, like, you probably actually have to advocate for your material and your perspective and your voice quite a lot. And so, that advice of like, just make the script good enough and forget about advocating for it is not actually advice that applies to everybody, I think. And so, I actually want to roll that advice back because i think that you know the the world we're in now is one where like you you will have to advocate for your own material and your own perspective and your own work and like that is like it's not impossible to overcome the network effects of those systems i just remember i was at dinner once and i I realized my buddy like we were 30 and he knew like the head of television at warner and the head of something and i was like how do you know oh you all went to college together and like i love my friends from college but like we're not like it was a different college we did a lot of drugs um, <laughs> so like and i'm sure they do a lot of drugs in the ivy too but you know uh came so like, from I, drawers. that's why came the from came drawers. Drawers. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. i was fortunate i was fortunate to grow up around industry people in in one sense maybe unfortunate in others and know a lot of people and there's another side to it which is you can know people and there may be nothing to be Gained for you by it, like like, I've been in a lot of situations where I was like, they they can't give me anything or get me anything. But there's a value. So I I used to always be scared of the "it's all about who you know" idea because it was like, but what if I don't know? And I don't like to get to know people. Like what if I like what if I don't want to know? And I don't people.
0: (laughs) And I don't mostly, or like I don't know
3: how to know people. And like some people are great in the room, but I have a thing that I I think. The optimist in me, but I think this is true. I think it's not that you need to know the right people because I've known plenty of those. It's that, and they haven't necessarily helped me. It's that by knowing people and being an easy, being a good hang, it's all about the hang, like we've talked about before. Like by being a person that people like and is easy for people to deal with and collaborate with, you become a possible, like it's you're the right person to know too. And then things will happen because it's like planting more seeds in the garden. You know, mm-hmm. It it might be the person, you know, who's the son of like a major movie star. Probably not. Just knowing that person might not help you speaking from personal experience, but there might be somebody else, you know, who's a good writer who's working hard, who likes you and who gets an opportunity. And then they're like, I, you know, like one person's opportunity can become yours if, if, if it fits. So the more people that you know, and you're, you, It's like, you don't need to shoehorn yourself in all these relationships. You just need to be a cool, easy to work with, positive presence, good collaborator. You know, I think those things are so important because I've interviewed so many people who talk about who they put on their camera crews, what DPs they like to work with, why they picked a DP. They met at a random mixer. The guy who made Smile, who wrote and directed Smile, literally, he was telling me the other day, that movie is making crazy money now. He sold it in the room at Paramount off like a short he made during the pandemic. Crazy story. His DP is accomplished. And the DP was just a guy he met at a random mixer who like he clicked with. And they both were guys who didn't want to like be like super social and stuff. They just clicked over the movies they liked. So yeah. when he got this opportunity to make this movie, he was like, I want it to be this guy. He's my friend, you know? So I think there's like, a lot there that like, people can use to be like, it's, it's not like you have to know the important people necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that used to make me uncomfortable.
1: Like, I don't want to have to get to know those people. <laughs> right. if, know? If an and I don't day. want to argue. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm, and I'm not arguing at all that if you didn't go to an IV, you're not going to have a career. That is not yeah. my argument. Yeah. In, anyway, right. Yes. I'm no, saying I get that. I just want to wait. Those people
3: have it easier by comparison. Well, no.
1: Or the advice they give is going to be different advice.
3: Because like if yeah. you
1: still write shitty scripts, it doesn't matter if you went to the best school in the world and you can get it right. to people. If the shit <laughs> script is shitty, that they're not gonna get you a studio job. Like I mean, there's probably one or two studio movies a year that are just like, how did that get made? Somebody who's friends with someone or whatever. But for the most part, the work still has to be good. They still have to be great. They still have to be like all of the things still apply. I'm just saying I, I'm I'm I've gotten a lot more careful about what advice I take and what advice I pay attention to and what advice mm-hmm. I pass on. Because I'm trying to be conscious of the systemic things that inform that advice. I tell this story all the time, but I was on a How to Get Jobs panel once, and the other panelists said, you know, I knew nobody. I knew nobody. I knew nobody. The only connection I had to the film was my dad played tennis with the, the VP of production of Paramount. That was the only connection I had. And I was like, well, you knew someone then. <laughs> yeah, well, like that, that was not like how is, yeah. how is how is that not knowing someone? That's I don't understand no one that sounds a little privileged to me. Like it <laughs> sounds know. like
2: you're kind
3: of we were at just the country golfing club. with all the executives.
1: <laughs> They're <laughs> They're just, just awesome. I didn't know him. What? We just played golf together. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that his advice was irrelevant. It just means that it's different advice than someone who's like, my dad was a basketball guy and he played basketball with the guys at the VA hospital. Like it's not like it's not the same network of people, right. and that's fine. I, you know, his, his pickup basketball buddies were great, but like, it's a different. And I just like I try and be conscious of that, and and I feel like that advice was was biased to that. But I, dude, I think you've got. I mean, the contests are the move, right? To steer it back towards where we started. The contests are a great designed to be an equalizer, and Austin in particular, which is near you. I think there's a lot there. Gigi, I stepped on you a little bit.
0: I'm, I'm trying to remember. Well, I, I just love what you're saying, Charles. Oh, the other thing I'd say about like networking and putting, building that network, but also putting out your, your work within that network. Um, I used to kind of feel really bad about myself if I didn't connect with somebody or if I'm like, why am I like this person? I guess they're doing it and they're like nailing it and they're good on paper, but like, I'm not feeling the kismet and then I started to realize like, okay, it is a numbers game and there are going to be like the people that you connect with, just like George was talking about, like the smile director and his DP. And also the people who have the same sensibilities as. One of the things that I did a year ago was I reached out to like all the showrunners assistants. And writer's assistants that I had a mutual friend with on LinkedIn and either asked for an introduction or cold emailed them and said, we have some mutuals. And I ended up making, I think I emailed probably like 35 people and made like three great connections. And and now these are people who I can, who I share scripts with. And so it's kind of like building a brain trust at the ground floor because like we're all entry level. We're all baby screenwriters and filmmakers, but they have the, there there's power in supporting each other and then power in opening doors for each other. Mm. The other thing I'll say about the contests, some of them do provide feedback, which I think is such a helpful thing that somebody who, when somebody who doesn't know you or (laughs) care about you or care about your network gets your screenplay, that is the best feeling in the world. And I was received feedback from Slamdance. I love Slamdance feedback. It was like super encouraging. And I didn't think that they would like my screenplay at all. Um, Austin, Screencraft, you know, that is such a way to pressure test the story, that um, the script as well.
2: Um, another aspect that I'm curious about, because Gigi, I know you're doing a lot of writing now and you also are a director as well. Like how much are you approaching... These types of conversations as a writer slash director, and how much how does that change the dynamic? Like if if you're if you're sending a script and like you know clearly everyone's dream is to be the writer director of their passion project thing or whatever. So like that would be the case for me. But I'm always curious. Like you know when you when you enter these contests and stuff, and you're getting notoriety for the screenplay part, but you're like, well, I also I'm gonna need to direct it. Like how does that change the dynamic?
0: Uh, for the contests, I usually. Or or if it's a lab, like the film independent lab, I applied, I described being a writer-director and, like, talked about my experience. But at the end of the day, they wanted to know why this story, why am I the right person to be telling this story as a writer? So it was very Um, writer-forward. So I think matching kind of where you're trying to submit it. Uh, And then when it comes to, like, going to the Austin Film Festival... I just have my business card and it says writer director on it. And, and so it's part, that's part of the, I think, I mean, unfortunately a lot of, there aren't as many female directors out there in positions. And so I, I am very aware of, I'm very cognizant of saying, oh, I write and direct. So it's something that is just inserted into the conversation, but I also am not going to be naive. And if I sell my pilot, I know I'm not going to get to show run yet. Mm. It's. I know I'm going to get paired with somebody. So like I very much am trying to meet whoever I'm talking with, where they're at and be realistic with the expectations. The current project that I'm working on, which was a pilot, and now I've recently l- discovered that it's a feature. I am going to be writing it with two goals in mind. One is like, let this be an awesome sample that can maybe get open a door for me. But also, I want this to be a feature that I direct, uh, so it doesn't have that many special effects, and it's uh, it's something that like I'm writing with what I have, the resources I have available to do. So, and then I'll be coming to you guys with advice very soon, <laughs> or asking questions.
1: All right, moving on to tech news. I'm excited to to follow the journey on this process, Todd. Mm. Uh, so I hope good things come. Yeah, uh, me too. Tech news this week. So Fuji, which Todd and I both shoot a lot of Fuji, and we both oddly have like the same like like bigger Black Magic cameras, and then Fuji as our like walk around camera. Uh, Fuji's disrupt the XH- XT five. So if you don't know Fuji at all, Fuji uh, first off made film back in the day, and their company name is still Fuji Film. You look at the digital camera; it still says Fuji Film on it, which God bless them for that. Uh, Fuji and Kodak were like the last two standing on the film, but they've been making digital cameras for a long time. Their digital cameras are notoriously weird. They use like a different pixel layout on the sensor. They just do their own stuff, which I love about them. A lot of people love Fuji for the color science. That's why I am with Fuji. I just like, it is the fastest to looking good straight out of the camera with the least work, which is why I love Fuji. They also have a bunch of film emulation, simulation things built into the camera that I don't use very much, but I've used on occasion. So there's sort of two levels of Fuji that we talk about in motion pictures. There's the XH line, which is around $2,500, which is still like cheaper than the Sony's. Which is their like more video focused unit? The current version of that is the XH2S, which is twenty five hundred bucks. And then there's the XT line, which is around sixteen hundred bucks, which is still great for video. And like when you go to NAB or CineGear, you still see like big DPS. Like it's a couple years ago, but I remember watching Bob Primes walk by with an XT3, uh, and we're now up to the XT5 just dropped like last week, and it's a big hit because a because Fuji rocks, but B because the XT5 is sort of a whole lot of fun features in one package so first off sony fuji as far as i can tell are the first people to let you shoot either prores raw or black magic raw mostly it's like all right if you shoot an icon you're gonna have prores raw or if you shoot black magic are black magic raw or sigma i think went black magic raw dji was prores raw but now there's rumors the 40 might switch like and, to, and to be ProRes clear you're RAW talking about 40.
2: with an external recorder right
1: with an external yeah, yeah. you've got to go to an external recorder for raw on most of these cameras because red has a patent on internal raw that most people aren't willing to fuck with. Black magic, it's around it because black magic raw is not fully unbared. But for the most part, prores raw, you're going to an external recorder like an Atomos or something. But it's great because you have either workflow. Like you know, I, I do a lot of freelance work, so if a client is like, I would like black magic raw, I can do that. I would like prores raw, I can do that. The autofocus has also gotten really good in Fuji, like really good. They have this new lens that it. It's not a parfocal lens, but the autofocus is so good it feels like it's parfocal. Oh wow! Which is kind of nuts. Yeah, the new zoom lens, the eighteen to one hundred twenty, it's it's designed for video. It'll drive still shooters nuts, but it's like it's a nice video lens with nice motor and nice control, and you can just shoot with it and do a zoom in, and it sort of holds focus.
2: It's so, crazy. so you said um, early on, you said uh, in, in in the podcast, you said you've been playing around with the H 2s right?
1: Yeah, so I have an H2S out on review right now. It goes back on Monday. So I'm shooting some last minute stuff with it this weekend. I've been shooting with it for like two weeks. Okay. I mean it's fucking great. Like I have two <laughs> complaints about it, and okay. my two complaints are, are are easily fixed with other features. Like it's they've done it. Okay. Like they've so they it's just weird. smashed I, it.
2: So I'm a I, I own an X T four and um I I never really I guess I for whatever reason, I just had blinders on. I, I think I was just like pretty pretty zeroed in on the lower price for the the XT series because of the budget I had well, also, at the time or whatever.
1: For the record, the XH two came out and then the XT three came out and was immediately better than the XH one. So like very okay. few people had the original XH. Very few. Me. Right. I mean, I've I've never seen another except mine because
2: because you've you've brought that up and I was like I didn't I didn't even know that camera existed and I'm like a Fuji fanboy so when you started talking about it. I started looking into it and I was like, oh, this probably seems like it could have been a better fit for me or whatever. But so I love my X-T4 a ton. And for whatever reason, I was sort of like skeptical of the H2S um, because I was kind of waiting to see what they did with the X-T5. So now that the X-T5 is here, for me, the um, the, the, the delineation between the the X-T series being kind of more for a hybrid shooter, the H2 series kind of being more... Or the H series being more for, for video shooters. I didn't really know that 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 delineation. But yeah, I think I'm probably about to pull the trigger on the H2S because it just looks sick and and I mean, let's face it, the, the old autofocus isn't wasn't that great. It's not terrible, but it wasn't that great. It was nice that it's there, but honestly, I've had quite a few busted shots because of it. So what you're telling me now is this new autofocus system. Is it, is it what, like, what can you compare it to in terms of like versus Sony versus Canon?
1: So I haven't shot a ton of Canon. I've weirdly, I like Canon color better than Sony, but I've shot a lot more Sony, and it's just because of the way jobs have worked out on bidding. Um, uh, I would say it's, feels comparable to an a7s3 fx3 level of autofocus it's not fx9 level but it's not ten thousand dollars but you know at the price point i think it is absolutely equivalent to the results i've gotten out of an a7s3 a7s4 oh that's fantastic three kind of level you have to get the lm lenses so they if if the lens has lm in the name as a linear motor which means it is faster so an lm lens the new lm zoom is crazy but they also make some nice lm primes and you have that and the camera, and they work together really well. The only drawback with the XH2S versus the Point Two is you can't shoot 8K video internally. You can only shoot 6.2. But for fuck's sake, 6.2K video is fine. <laughs> like, it is so much resolution. No, man, and I need, I need those, those extra 6Ks,
3: bro. That's- I want to jump in and ask, because it sounds like so. Autofocus is great, maybe as good as Sony. And color better. science is I, great. I'm going to say
1: it better, better than Sony.
0: Okay.
3: Okay, how is the color science compared to, like, airy like i mean if, is is it is it is it is it's not quite but is it like above everybody else is it is it that good
2: there there's a weird that's a weird honestly a weird question because <laughs> it's like no
1: if ari yeah
3: are, yeah, yeah <laughs> feel get bad. that yeah i can out of here only ask weird week. questions about cameras i can't ask a normal
0: <laughs> no, question because i, cause I no, have I, to I, know I, I, more
2: I, the thing with ari is like i whatever they're doing it just makes no sense why it's so much better than everything else like it's it's just i'm but to answer your question in my opinion like i have shot plenty of things even with my xt4 that i i guarantee you if you put it right up in a cut next to an ari shot you wouldn't notice the cut or you would so notice then, the different so then, ca- camera system. What's
3: the downside? Cause it sounds like this is a camera that like you guys are saying, like it does this great thing that usually people associate with this brand. It does this well, well, great the, thing that the people thing with associate Fuji. with this brand. Like what is it? I don't know about you, Charles, catch? but like, why wouldn't I get one? If it, I why, don't know about wh- wh- you, Charles,
2: but it, like, if I bust out my Fuji on a set, everyone's like, Oh, you're using Fuji. And I'm like, yes, it's the best one. What is wrong with you people? Like, it's like, especially the X-T4, because like, you know, I got the silver edition, so it looks all like retro-y and cool, but everyone's Ooh,
3: like,
1: this that looks looks nice. like, that looks nice. They're like, that looks like a toy. What is that thing? I'm like,
3: <laughs>
1: <sighs> so, so to answer George's question. So first off, Canon is the look of YouTube. Like everybody who works professionally in like the YouTube space, like I had some meetings at the YouTube space in LA a little while ago or whatever, like Canon and YouTube are like this together because the 5D Mark II sort of blew up around the same time YouTube did. So right. people right. at this price point look also at you the like- Also, the
3: logos they're... are the same color, which is-
1: hmm. It goes a long way, Not color. an accident. <laughs> no, it, it is all a plan. So that Stay helps. woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't sleep on that one. So there's that. Um, there is the- So there's a couple other things to think about. So when we talk about Airy Alexa- The one thing you're going to get out of Alexa, just in terms of pure image quality, 90% of the time, the Fuji will hold up. There's going to be situations in sheer latitude where the way the Alexa sensor is designed, no camera with a $2,500, no $2,500 camera is going to have the sheer latitude of an Alexa. So when you're in those really wide dynamic range scenes, when you're like, I'm shooting car work, day exterior, outside, it's a hot, sunny day. There's like, and I'm trying to see inside the car and the roof, like that kind of stuff, Alexa is still going to win. And those situations show up. And so it's like, sure, maybe I could shoot 80% of the job on the Fuji and then 10% on the Alexa, but like I'll just do a whole thing on the job. The other thing, and people don't talk about this enough, but Alexa, Red, Sony, a lot of them, it's not just purely about image quality. I mean, it is. Alexa looks the best. But separate from that, it's also about integration with the overall workflow. With any $2,500 camera running full- like full audio in if you need to run an audio scratch tech for editorial is harder running like getting a good video signal out that you could run to frame io or running to video village is harder running time code is like it's this whole big infrastructure of a big film set so like for me on a like where is the xh2 going to show up for me like oh i have these little documentaries i do for a client that's literally the building next door and they're really nice so i go over and i'll shoot little food docs or stuff for them and it's like me and a four-person crew that xh2 all the time. 'Cause it's gonna look amazing, it's gonna look amazing, easily, and I don't have fifteen people. But if I'm on a set with a twenty person crew and I have a director that needs to see something and it needs to be going to DIT and dailies need to be going off site for somebody's approval, like Alexa offers it all can't of be these- the you bust out an XT4, you're
2: like, What's up, everybody?
1: Everyone would laugh. Yeah. You can't do that. Well, except what's crazy about the XHS is that you can get this external box with the XHS and they're the first people to do this shit where you can run straight into frame IO. With just like this thing, it's the battery grip, but as an Ethernet port, and you just plug in Ethernet and it's popping your files straight to Frame.io. And like, nobody is doing that. There's no Ethernet port on the side of an Alexa that's doing that. You always need to use like a Teradex cube, or I think it's always just the Teradex cube. I don't know anybody else who has a box. I don't think Hollyland has one for Frame.io yet. So like every other job, you want your Frame.io dailies. Like we did a job together in January, George, where we had Teradex dailies going live with the cube. And yes, then I wrote did. a review of it. You always need this like extra $3,000 box that you rent or buy. Literally Fuji just Got built it. that shit in. Like you get this little $600 adapter and there's like a fucking ethernet port and like mm. your dailies are just popping. So I actually could start imagining I could see a fashion job where like, I'm not going to have as many audio worries, like where it's not like a big talky dialogue thing, but it's just like, cause there's good slow-mo in this camera too. I'm like, okay, well, I'm in New York with the clients in Milan or the clients in Taipei or whatever. I can see the X-H2S actually being the right camera for the job because then I can just plug in the Ethernet and the dailies are popping off and I'm not even thinking and the color is so good and the autofocus is so nice. I could certainly see that happening. And, and,
2: and it's got 240
1: it, frame. Slummo. Internal
2: internal ProRes, right?
1: Internal ProRes and simultaneous are internal proxies. So you've got a Express card for your ProRes and you can That's simultaneously nice. make proxies to your SD. Yeah. So, like, as much as I said that thing about Alexa being better at a certain integration,
3: I, you think it's getting sh- there that the ecosystems could start to catch up on the smaller scale? But Todd's issue that people are not going to take you seriously because your camera doesn't look big
1: enough is like I think it is like the inevitably style, a thing. <laughs> yeah, I always try and make sure I have the biggest camera on set. That's how yeah. everybody knows you're the boss. Yeah, for sure. Um,
3: <laughs> you
2: got to have a, no, a matte box, box
3: no filtration. Right. Just, if you literally, just if have... it doesn't look like a movie camera, people yep. are going to be like, "What? What is this? Not a real movie?" You no, know? oh, oh, no.
1: I mean, not. I don't know if we should be plugging the e course yet or not, but you know, we have this e course for no film school that we did, and there's a prop 35 millimeter camera in the background of the e course, which is about launching a career in cinematography in 2022 which doesn't involve a lot of 35, but we needed a 35 millimeter camera prop because we just had to have. Otherwise, a how would they know that it's cinematography? <laughs> you've got to say cinematography with everything you do. No, what Fuji yeah. needs to do. And I'm going to say this in my review. I already wrote the conclusion. Fuji needs to make a $5,000 FX six competitor that mm-hmm. is just like a Fuji with full XLR, full SDI, bigger battery swaps. And like that fucker would crush.
2: Yeah, well, and well, they another thing they definitely have is, daughter daughter. is like stop
1: talking about cameras and come get me. <laughs>
2: so, I, I, everything's okay. I I do the thing like when people need to wake up early and you set an alarm every like 10, 15 minutes. I do it so mm-hmm. that there's no way I'll forget cuz I get sucked into my work sometimes. But I love my daughter and I'd never forget. I promise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're I'm going to leave and go pick her up from LA. <laughs> This is taking forever, Todd. She's okay. She's okay. (laughs) Um, No, the thing that Fuji's definitely never done is like put out a a camera that's like, this is a filmmaking cinema camera. Have they done that?
1: Well, the thing is, is their big business is lenses. So Fujinon, their lens division, makes huge lenses that are very popular with with Alexa shooters. They make a really nice full-frame zoom. And so my suspicion is they don't want to fuck with their customers. And I think they view... Sony fx6 fx9 I think they view them as like oh people are going to buy those and buy our glass which is why I think they're not going to do it but I really want them to do yeah. it also I don't think we talked about it on the podcast but they no, we did talk about their box lens yeah the they did a square very guy. busy fall yeah holy fuck that box lens so
0: I love this Fuji fandom just yeah. in this group. We're
2: kind of becoming the unofficial <laughs> Fuji podcast, honestly. Um we, yeah, I, I mean, feel like we talk official. about it. All- <laughs> Fuji, call us. Send me a, like, send me an H2S and I'll I'll <laughs> I'll put we know that now we have video, so I'll put it on the thing and I'll just show it and be like, look, guys, please do that. <laughs> Fuji, send I mean, look, me a camera, please. I, should,
1: I still <laughs> please. shoot a lot of black magic, to be honest. Uh, because a lot of that workflow stuff. Like the black magic twelve k still comes out a lot because as much as that body is big and awkward to put in a stabilizer, it's got real XLRs. It's got real SDIs. It's got the big infrastructural thing. And I think the 12K still looks amazing. But Blackmagic still doesn't have that autofocus, so it's not the go-to. Like, Fuji cracking the autofocus and having the thing where it's like, you can do those run-and-gun autofocusy jobs is nice. For me, Blackmagic and Fuji are the two things that they're, like, really duking it out in how good they can make color at that price point. Dude, Still not like i but...
2: You're like the only other person I talk to regularly that sees that exactly eye to eye with me. Everyone else is fooling around with other random like Canon stuff. I wouldn't I wouldn't shoot anything on Canon if if you begged me. I don't know why. It's just it's not my thing. Same with Sony. I mean, I I I'll bust out Sony like if it's if it's a hired gig or whatever, but yeah, I, you know, okay, I have this like thing that I talk about often now because, because that question about like, what's the difference between RE color science and blah, blah, color science that, that comes up kind of often, especially when people are like, if you have this on a job and this on a job, can they, can you intercut them and it won't be jarring or whatever? So are,
3: what, are you saying that my question wasn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> no, it
2: was it, was, it was weird. It was weird because, <laughs> because of how often I get it. And, uh, but no, um, I think we're at this place now where like every camera looks pretty good. And, and like though I, I think even like the cheapest camera from any of these ma- major manufacturers, like if they have a log recording, uh log color space or whatever, it's like, you're getting at least minimum 12 to 13 stops of dynamic range. And especially if you're doing like a color managed workflow and resolve, like, you're going to be able to get a pretty good image out of any camera these days. So it's weird because we're kind of moving back towards like, I don't know, like, like, like Charles has talked a lot about um, workflow and like other aspects of the camera that XLR inputs, things like that. It's almost like re- it reminds me of like the film camera days where it's like, you know, it used to be a box. You're running the same film through it. Really, it's, it's a lens and a box that's running film through it. It's about what the box can do around the film right so like i think we're kind of back in that zone like for a while it was like you know sony had a very different looking co- color science and image from anything else or whatever but now you know it, if, you're, if you're if you're working in DaVinci wide gamut and you're co- co- actually know what you're doing in terms of like color correcting and stuff you can make anything look like anything in my opinion
1: yeah, Steve Yedlin. If you guys don't know Steve Yedlin, he's one of my favorite working DPs. He shoots all of Ryan Johnson's movies. He shot a few other movies, but lately it's just been the Ryan Johnson movies. He's also like kind of an amazing nerd. He's got a great website with like some of the, the nerdiest fucking shit. Like myriad value color matching things that are like for like he'll build iOS apps that like eight people know how to use. And I'd like love him for it. He yeah. invented, he was one of the first people, if you shot log on an F nine hundred in like 2008, 2009, he invented Yedlog, which was like one of the first available logs, because he was like, oh, the F900, he probably didn't say it looked like shit. I'll say it looks like shit. F900 looked like shit. And he was like, but what if we could get a log image out of it? And the first time I saw something shot on the F900 that looked good, I was like, how did you do that? And the DP, Vanessa Man lunis was like, oh, Yedlog. He has a whole thing now where he's like, basically, at this point, you can make anything look like anything of a certain quality and he's like you should really be choosing your camera based on workflow integration and body ergonomics i was like that is a bold body ergonomics (laughs) yeah like how easy is it how easy is it to rig up in a stabilized head how easy is it to balance on steadicam how does it feel on your shoulder now what's funny is he's like you should choose based on body ergonomics and i'm still going to just shoot the alexa mini lf which like also (laughs) has the best color science yeah so like like okay fine it's it's not like you're going out and saying that and then shooting you know uh something without the best color science because you know you can do it but the argument is like you can really just push it around if it is a big enough signal coming in from the front with enough robustness we have a lot of freedom in post to mess with stuff the thing i like about fuji which i also like about book magic is how little i have to fuck with it in post because if it is a job i'm directing or i'm DPing where i have a lot of control I have a lot more freedom. If I'm turning over footage to another production company, I would yeah. like it to look as good as possible as fast as I can. Yeah, And that is what I like. You know, like this food job uh, that I do that I'm moving over to Fuji, I often just deliver dailies and they handle posts. And so it's like, I would just like to give them Fuji. Like, like, I would just like to, I would feel so much better about the final result with that. Uh, we've ran a little over. We had a headline, which is Alan Moore continues to be a- Alan Moore. And I'm going to say that the intent of the story is Alan Moore continues to be Alan Moore. And that is our episode. So uh, I'm on the internet. I'm on Mastodon now. I'm moving from Twitter to Mastodon <laughs> like everyone else. So here's the thing. If you're thinking about moving from Twitter to Mastodon, you will go to Mastodon and you'll say, this seems confusing. Just sign up on any server. It doesn't fucking matter. And <laughs> it will feel like Twitter in like 10 minutes. It's, oh. it, is, it has a high barrier for entry.
2: I was like, what is this? And I, I, I backspin. I'm Googling it now. <laughs> I, I tried to go yeah, on and after, up after it. you mentioned it, and I was like, what, "What? what is this? I feel old, and then I, I went away.
1: No, it has a very high, so, so there's a joke I like to tell when I'm teaching people color grading, that when you get to the color window in Resolve, it's the window where everybody finds out Resolve is free, opens Resolve, looks at the color window, and says, oh, fuck, that's a lot of buttons, and closes Resolve. And you just have to slowly and patiently teach people what all the buttons do in that window, and it's great. Mastodon is the same thing. When I went to sign up for Mastodon, I was like, oh, fuck, this is annoying what, what I have to pick a server. What I'm server
0: confused. do I pick? And, and then I immediately the was
1: like, this is very confusing. So I just picked the server Minette Louie. If you guys don't know Minette Louis, she is a, she's a big Twitter producer. She tweets a lot about producing. She's faculty at Columbia. She's wonderful. She's a great producer. She's produced some movies that you love. And she literally was like, I'm on this server. And I was like, I'm going to go to the Minette Louis server. That's it. That's why I picked it. Which one? Barbecue.snoot.com. Okay. <laughs> um, it is literally uh, put it we should put
3: it in the show notes, right? Yeah. Barbecue dot You should uh, all go into the same server of this thing. Yes. Yeah, so you're so, not gonna see the tweets of people on different servers or the no, Mastodons? So the way Mastodon, Mastodon
1: works is all the servers share with each other. Got it. Um so it's called a Fediverse, it's federated, which means everybody can set up we can all set up our own servers if we wanted, or we can all join a server. And they all share with each other. So like I can follow I follow Paul Krugman, who's on some journalist server. And it shows up in my thing. You can follow all the same people and all that feels the same. There's benefits to the server thing, such as like you couldn't, no billionaire is going to buy Mastodon because you couldn't, because it's open source software. People just install on servers. So like it cannot be sold to some dude who likes drinking urine. Like, you know, it's not possible.
3: Um, Blood diamond uh, magnates.
1: uh, Yeah. Who every morning is a little pee baby. So like that, but part of the, the thing of that is it's got to be spread across all these servers to make it work. The server thing, it's annoying when you first sign up and you're like, oh, this seems complicated. Let's just say it right now. I, all of us, we're going to go to barbecue.snoot.com because that's the one Minette Louie picked and she's great. And it is a specifically filmmaker focused server. It is like started by a filmmaker or like, hey, let's make an indie filmmaker server on Amazon. But like, I still follow all the people on the others. And, um, that's the hurdle with Mastodon, but I'm moving over to Mastodon. I still check in my Twitter mostly for P-Baby jokes, but short <sighs> of that, um, I, I pretty much everybody I follow on Twitter has now moved over to Mastodon. And so I'm going to move over with them and, um, move over to a federated social network that I am excited to participate in. I haven't posted yet on Mastodon because I'm waiting to get the vibe first. I want to like know what it's like. I don't want to like charge in and start acting like. A Twitter person on Leroy Mastodon.
3: Jenkins. Yeah. yeah, I'm not
1: gonna Leroy Jenkins Mastodon, but I'm I'm on Mastodon on the Barbecue Snoot server uh, at Charles Hain and I'm on YouTube. And um, I mean, you can also add me on Twitter, but I'm only there for the lols at this point. Oh, but don't give up your Twitter handle because someone else could take it, and and that would be bad. So oh. just like quietly drift away from your Twitter, but you don't you don't have to go to leave it. That's that's what I'm doing.
0: I like it. Well, I am signing up for bbq snoot mastodon (laughs) at lost in graceland and i did sort of drift away from my twitter about a couple years ago so it's still there if you want to follow but um yeah that's it uh
2: well i'm not on mastodon yet but i guess i'll check it out and uh i don't use twitter and i haven't in a long time but um I got to go pick up my daughter from school. Apparently, uh, <laughs> you're also on
1: YouTube at Am I a Filmmaker?
2: I'm also on YouTube at Am I a Filmmaker, as well as
1: Instagram. Can and... We ma- can-, can we make dark jokes on this podcast? Yeah, yes. So he's also on YouTube with the handle Am I a Good Father? <laughs> oh. <laughs> too dark, too dark, too dark. I don't know, maybe too dark. Maybe so, too dark.
2: I'm at I'm at peace with the father. Uh, I am, so it's all good. I'm not. I'm not going to yeah, cry or anything. I
3: feel like, Yeah, (laughs) she'll be she's it's probably you'll probably make it (laughs) it'll be (laughs) fun. yeah i am george edelman i am on twitter i love that i got at george edelman so i'm definitely not giving that up i was an early adopter there i'm loving the chaos of twitter at the moment as it goes down as we all go down together and i'm i'll be happy to join barbecued snoots when the time comes if i can figure it out I am looking at it, and I feel like a boomer looking at a remote control right now. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I will, I will figure it out, Charles. <laughs> all of us give it a shot. And here's what we're going to do: we're going to live. We're going to do a on live together as the podcast. Everybody, you heard it here first. Everybody who wants to, like all of the listeners who want to join us on Mastodon, we're going to do like a live posting thing um, awesome. on the Mastodon yes. because I, I would like all of our listeners to join us on Barbecue Snoot. I like (laughs) that it's called barbecue snoot Anyway It it sounds appropriately ridiculous Well I think it is snoot like A snoot light and barbecue like the thing that Teamsters make I think it is two Film things. I believe Ah
3: It's not like barbecue Texas It's like like cooking a nose (laughs) Is all I could think of like we're cooking Snouts in a smoker or something I don't know Um, anyway That's my visual that I got out of it Uh, No film school (laughs) Is a website, www.nofilmschool.com. Head over, read about everything we talked about and more. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel. Leave a comment and tell us what you think about all the things we've talked about and more. And uh, send us your questions, editor at nofilmschool.com. We always like to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening.